Well, hello there. This is Jim the Keys Bartender. And if you're familiar with the Keys Bartender podcast, you'll know that the Keys Bartender podcast is about bartending, uh, Keys life, and life in general. I'm going to start out with a little Keys life right at this moment. So, the weather we're looking at for the next five days is about as bad as it gets down here. Um, not a hurricane bad. I'm saying dreary, not fishing, not being able to do anything other than do inside things, which usually means for the keys, either drinking and hitting a couple of the small galleries and museums down here. Probably, I hate to say it this way, for people that don't want to spend their time inside bars. This is the worst time to come to the Keys at this exact moment. Not the season. Normally, we don't get rainy uh, spates of rain for five days in a row. We're talking about not intermittent. You're calling for at least 70. The low point in the next five days is 70% chance of rain, uh, but the rest is 70% or higher. And it just shows system coming through until it's Wednesday right now. It'll be until Monday. And if you're a bartender at an indoor venue and that's enclosed, not like a tiki bar, you're probably going to do really well right now. It's great coming up to it. As I was talking uh, in previous episodes, you know, I'm in the, um, I'm finishing up my job search. When you say finishing up, you're not going to work. No, no, I have. Uh, about six, uh, I'm in the process of, uh, the hiring process is six places, not just interviews, places where they're following up and I'm just doing background. They have, uh, their processes. So yeah, it's, it's six, they're competing with me for my attention. I'm not saying that I'm that hot a commodity that six places are competing competing for me. I guess it just worked out that the way I interviewed and their requirements, they're looking to hire people. And some some places they have a different uh I guess philosophy, like they'll carry uh some establishment will carry extra employees. Others will just hire for when they need them and uh, wait till then. And that's why leading up to, they call it, I'm doing the air quotes, hell week, which is between Christmas and New Year's and then the season kicking off. And that's in less than a week and a half away. No, well, today's the 13th. So less than two weeks. Less than two weeks, how we uh, kicks off. I I do I I know you've been hearing this, but I do expect to be working at uh, at least one place, maybe two places by then, and I have my catering work. So I have I have work right now, but my uh, main work will be picking up then. But all this interviewing process, when they're asking the questions and saying, what do you feel are your talents? What do you like to do? What's your availability? What's your greatest accomplishment? And things like similar to uh, that line of questioning. I almost said that phrase I'm trying to stop saying. <laughs> uh, made me think, 
about what is my philosophy. And I do have, I have developed the philosophy on bartending and how to do it. And not just the the individual, me as a bartender, as me as a bartender in an establishment. In 1985, 86, I got my first bartending job working at a nightclub in downtown Philadelphia. It was at a place called PT's. It was on Front Street, right near the Delaware River and the heart of Philadelphia. And it was a busy nightclub in 85, 86. They had a very good Friday and Saturday night. Believe it or not, the biggest night was Sunday night. Was Sunday night? We had a. Re- it was crazy there, and it was. It was not the biggest nightclub, but it also wasn't. It was. It was. A, I guess a mid-range nightclub. It would hold uh, maybe three, four hundred people. Not huge, but it was. It was a nice place, high end, high energy, and the the bar had four people, two service areas, and I was brought on. Uh, a friend of mine's brother worked there, and I told him I was interested. I told my friend that I was interested in, in bartending, but I didn't have any experience. And he said this nightclub was looking for a service bartender, and the service bartender, for those of you that are working in, in the business, is someone that takes care of the uh, cocktails for the floor, not for the bar, and. I had no experience, not even, I worked a little in catering and knowing a little catering bartender, but in catering, you don't really make fancy drinks there. You don't make the more constructed drinks with more uh, uh, liquors and things like that. But uh, I got called for an interview. And they gave you a test. They gave me a test, a written test on how to do it. And the, the first test I took, and I, what I did is I wrote, I had a little black address book that I used for putting the drinks I thought I needed to know and putting the ingredients into it. And I used, I kept that, a tiny one. And I used it as my, I, I didn't use it as cheat sheet. It was something I would bring when I was working, but I didn't think I would be tested. When I was tested, I was doing the test. It was maybe a half hour long. And I failed the first test, and I came back and I passed it the second time. And they eventually hired me. And there was four of us. And back then uh, in, in Philadelphia, they just they had guys, just mainly guys. And I was the uh, youngest. My My friend's brother... I think his name was Kevin. I got to remember. He was a great guy. Little little guy. I was super tall. Well, I was super tall. I'm, I'm, compared to him, I was super tall. He was around 5'3", five, 5'4". Five, five, Here I am pushing 6'4". There was Mike and Tony. And Mike and Tony were the oldest ones. Kevin and I were the youngest ones. Kevin worked the front bar with Tony. Mike worked the other service bar, sometimes the front. Eventually, I was working service and front. And when I started out, I was kind of slow. It was a, uh, like I said, it was a high energy place. And those guys move smoothly. They work together pretty good, pretty good. I, I, it took me a while to really understand my concepts that I, 
I really grasp fully right now on team dynamics. Excuse me, one, one moment. So we'd work the bar together. And in the beginning, I had uh, eight cocktail waitresses come to my service station and they could order up to 13 drinks. And the drinks were uh, given to me verbally. It was the time before you'd have a POS system that would print out the drink order and then you make it off the drink order. So, uh, and, and that was kind of intimidating when you had girls coming up, uh, young women coming up. And they were young, beautiful women. They had the, the outfits they wore. They wore uh, skin-tight leotards with kind of like one, uh, a, a whole body uh, leotard with a, a one-piece, kind of like a one-piece bathing suit over top of it. And they were all, I, they were all lovely girls. That's the way they, they were all lovely. And that was kind of intimidating too. So here I'm getting drinks for them. And it took me a while. It took me, when I say a while, of a month. And that, to me, that's a month to get into the rhythm of cranking out those drinks. But after a couple months, I got it. And then I started syncing with the other guys. In the beginning, Kevin was kind to me. Tony and Mike, Tony was the lead bartender. He was a, uh, an a, a Italian guy in his late 20s, uh, blow-dried uh, hair, shoulder length. Uh, Mike was uh, at, just out of, uh, I think he was an Air Force guy. He had a bushy mustache, shorter hair. He, uh, he was kind of a guy into magic. He always, he, uh, he had flash paper and he used to do this thing. What flash paper is, is you'd have a little ring, you stuff it with uh, this uh, almost like, uh, cap paper or sparkler paper where you hit on the back of the ring there was an igniter and it would cause a flash and it looked like you have fire shooting out of your hands you'd do things like that and coins behind the ear and stuff like that kind of kind of corny but back in the 80s i guess it was pretty cool especially when you give people a couple drinks and then it's got the bartender's doing a little magic kevin uh little kevin was a little irish guy uh, Irish American guy, and he was just always bouncy, moving, upbeat, funny, just like always moving. You know, he was lean, little, but very energetic. And here I was, I didn't really have a shtick myself. I was upbeat. Uh, I would work work hard to get done because I was trying to get my work done, and I was just trying to do my job at that time. So, in in as a replacement for skill, I used effort. And eventually, when you get uh, skill, you can start getting flair. I didn't have any flair, but the girls, I think they started like, in the beginning, I think they weren't really happy because I was messing with their uh, earning capabilities because I wasn't that fast. I wasn't that fast, and sometimes I had questions. And you could see that some of them were getting, and it was just a little... Little uh, one, she was in her late 20s, little cute Italian uh, uh, cocktail waitress. Eventually, she, she, was, she liked me. And then there was, a, there was all these different ones. I, I, I ended up uh, dating uh, one or two of them, um, just briefly. But 
And after a couple of months, we had that dynamic. Eventually, it should have been, the way the dynamic should have worked, Tony should have been the leader. And he should have been, because he was the lead bartender, and he should have been like saying, hey, listen, it's going to be a busy night tonight, you know, and say, listen, you do this, you do this, and play off each other's strengths. This is what I learned later. But we worked well together just from efforts. We worked hard and uh, with skill, but not with a lot of interplay. Or finesse. Actually, the interplay, there was a lot of verbal interplay we had that we were good together, but we could have worked a little better together. But it was still pretty good just from the raw talent capability. After I did that, I became, I worked in catering. I first started out on the floor, or I was doing it while I was there. I was working in catering. And I eventually became a catering manager. And I'd sell wedding packages of Mater D. I'd, uh, so the Mater D is not just the announcer at uh, the caring facility I worked at. It was also the person that supervised the whole uh, affair, uh, the weddings. And we did a lot of weddings. And we worked hard, not smart. There was a gentleman there, a friend of mine, Kevin, who came up with a system. And his system was having, you know, we have a Mater D, you have a, a head head waiter, and then you'd have different uh, servers filling different roles in the place, which was a replacement for, I think it eventually became a replacement. It was more of a military organization, a military organization, but it didn't take into account your skills, your skill set. What it did is says, you're going to be the leader, whether you have leader or leadership ability or not. This person is going to be your assistant, and then everyone else has a role to play underneath it. Now, in real team dynamics, which I came to grasp later, you bring your real innate skills to a job. And if you can appreciate or correctly assess someone's skills, you could really do something special, really do something special. Because in a high volume, uh, busy place, you really need that to work efficiently. And I believe in the last place I worked, we developed that because you got to know people and you just started filling that role because it was family owned. They saw it too, and they put you in that. So uh, Kathy and Paige, the owners, they saw that I was uh, pretty good at putting out volume, pretty good at uh, forming a relationship with the customers. So they put me out front in the bar and at the, the as a bartender. And I could do that. So they said I was lead bartender, this, that. It used to be a two-person bar, but they said Jim can handle it by himself with some of the workers coming back and helping me when it got really busy. So... We had, and I, I don't think they'll mind me talking about them because I'm going to be saying nice things about people. So Kathy, being in the business a long time, she understood, one of the owners, she understood team dynamics. And she really saw it as a team. And Kathy worked it as a team. Now, Kathy was a leader. She would use me as an adjutant. And there was a floor adjutant. And there was Katie. She was also a manager. Katie worked the floor. Lala, a leader. And then we had 
the support uh, staff around us. And what we do is we take the lead and do the things we can do. Like if there was, uh, as a bartender, I would come in and try to uh, be diplomatic with people. So you you had issues off before issues became big issues. Like if someone was dissatisfied with something or beginning to seem dissatisfied, you nip it in the bud. You shut it down there. And you do it with nuance. If someone got something, the first, uh, the appetizer, and they weren't happy with it, you didn't wait till they finished their entree to address their dissatisfaction with a appetizer. You took care of the appetizer first and then made sure when you put in that entree that they were going to say, hey, listen, we're going to, we're really going to take care of this really well. We want to make sure that we address this and, and we want to do whatever we can to, to stop that. That was just one particular thing. And it's people, let's say there's someone that comes in and they're super aggressive and there is a nuance to handling people that are aggressive. It is Sometimes you have to really say, this isn't your place. You're not going to be able to do that thing. Sometimes do that thing that you're trying to do. You're either going to try to take the energy away from them. And if you can placate them without giving away the house, you do that. Otherwise, you have to, in the most diplomatic fashion, end it and get them out the door. And sometimes that's the only way to do it. Sometimes there isn't. You can waste a lot of energy in taking uh, that heat from someone. So I'm going to pause right here right now. And I'm going to get on this a little further because it's such a big subject. I'll be right back. Hi, and we're back. As I was saying, the team dynamic approach. The uh, So we're able to do that at the catch, we are as I, I'm going to kind of wrap that up because this is an old, um, it's my former place. And I'm now I'm thinking at the new place, my, my philosophy. And the reason why I really started thinking about it is because of the questions I've been asking this series of, uh, interviews. They were asking, what do I think about my role in the place and how you work with others. And I thought of a team of, I, I really thought my model was the team of the classic superheroes or like Greek mythology. Everyone has their own strength and powers. And just because someone isn't necessarily good at one particular thing or necessarily as good as you are at the thing doesn't mean they have, don't have, bring strengths to the table. And they normally do if they're in the business for a while. They're in it for a reason. And it would behoove you as a coworker, as an employer, as both an, an employer and a coworker to harness the strengths of that person and de-emphasize their weaknesses. So obviously someone that has a hard time with conflict, you would not put them into conflict re resolution. Obviously. 
But someone with high volume experience, you want to put them front and center and have them handle the crowd. Someone that's very congenial, you want to have them as a point person. You want them as front to be doing the greeting. So someone's at a table. You, uh, I, 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 through the question, I, mean, I thought, how, how would you handle each situation? You could think these things out. It's real easy. Once you realize the strengths of someone. So you're, you, you're working a three-person bar. You have someone that's really good at getting along with everyone, everyone. And you can see, obviously, over there at this table, there's someone that's having a difficulty with, with that. Now, if there's not a person on the floor, which there very could, well could be a person on the floor that can handle that, what you do is you bring someone in. Sometimes people have a conflict with people for no blame of that person that's serving them or not necessarily on, on the patron. It's just some, some people don't interact well together. You can bring another server in or you send your point person in. That bartender seems to get along with everyone else. They say, hey, listen, why, hey, why don't you go over and take a look at that table and ask them what's going on? Why is there anything we can do for you? You don't have to, if, if your manager gives you the authority or gives you to go ahead and say, listen, when there's a problem, I'd like you to be proactive and do that. And most places, most dynamic places, and I like to use that place because that word dynamic, we hear this a lot, team building, dynamic, and you know, there's a purpose behind it. It's a real thing. A lot of times it's when it's implemented, it's more bullshit because they talk about it. And I've been through corporate um, uh, world. Some do it really well. Some are more ephemeral, like they pick up a, a team building philosophy or strategy and they'll work on it and they'll make it so complica complicated and convoluted that, you know, in a big organization, you can't say that we have 5,000 people in an organization. Each one has its unique skills. You have to break it down to a smaller group. Like it's say a team of eight. I'm picking number eight in this instance. They say, we know what the strength and skills of these people are essentially. And some of them are overlapping. There may be three people that are really good, really, really good. Obviously, all of them should be great at customer service, but there's other ones that have that um, type of horse whisperer thing where they know they have an innate sense that when something's bothering, what's really bothering them, and then they can address them. So then you pick out those skills, and this person handles these issues or when it's really busy. Or just, it could be as simple as there's a real heavy uh thing that needs to be moved let's say there's a keg and the person that normally moves the keg isn't there you're going to look for the person that's strongest uh the physically strongest one or the one that works the smartest that knows how to use the right tools to move that item it could be as simple as that or the person that says well you know obviously there that we had this previous conversation about what drinks people don't like making. And some people get in their head that they don't like making a certain drink. Other people say, it doesn't matter. It's all drinks to me. So someone says, oh, I got five, uh, five different margaritas. 
And there could be some base ingredients for them. So they, they crank out the five different margaritas like they're cranking out two margaritas. And it doesn't slow them down. Other, somebody may, because of the way they process, may be a little slower doing it. It doesn't make them a worse or uh, uh, less competent bartender. It's just saying that's not their skill level right there or not their skill type. Because that's judgment, isn't it, when you say that? And I know I'm going on and I'm not doing a lot of personal growth, but I think you can apply these things that I'm talking about now to personal life. So as I go on, when you're approaching a team, and if you can kind of correctly assess that, and, and, the, and another important thing about team building is the rest of the team has to be able to accept that they have strengths and weaknesses. That's another thing, because when they don't, and they don't play along with it, that's hard too. Because sometimes people say, I'm great at everything. It is impossible to say that everything you do, everything you do. Now, it could be your job. You could be at the top of each category in your place. And that just means the rest of the employees are not so hot. But generally, there'll be someone that's good at something, better at something than you are. And if you're good at everything, you can't do everything at a busy place. You're going to have to relegate it to other people. So it may be the person who is the second best at handle, handling like a customer complaint that's going to go and address it. Because the person that's the number one at handling customer complaints is so busy handling other things at that time. And that's the dynamic part. When you hear dynamic, it's a skill level. Being able to recognize this and big picture, I know, I'm using euphemisms. But in any organization, euphemisms are what works. And you got to zero in on what the task at hand is. Every complex organization and a busy restaurant is a complex organization from the very, from the dishwasher up through the general manager. Everyone has a key role to play. And if that, uh, let's say the general manager and the ownership allows people, if they're able to harness those skills in a fluid manner, and let people and allow people to shine, then you can have some beautiful things. So uh, I think it was George Patton that said this, uh, and it, it it's kind of aggressive. And, and sometimes you think, why why do people always resort to football teams, or when it was football teams resort to military? Because football is kind of like a uh, a metaphor for the the way you know. Uh, the military's run. You have your leader, the quarterback, or the head coach is like the supreme commander. So there, there's a reason for that because the military is one of the oldest organizations going back thousands of years, military organizations. And they 
in the most extreme fashions, which is sometimes the most violent, they conduct things. But it, it is also an excellent way of illustrating it. And one of the uh, highest por- uh, forming military commanders was George Patton. And George Patton was a general during World War II, and he was very aggressive commander for the United States. And he was uh, one about taking charge. And one of the, one of the things he said was that a good plan, and I'm going to paraphrase this, uh, a good plan that is enforced aggressively and pushed aggressively is better than a perfect plan pushed tentatively. And I think I'm probably... I think I phrased it correctly. So it says, you take a plan and you drive for a good plan and you drive forth with it aggressively. It's so much better. And that's what he would do. He would, he would use sometimes the American, uh, he was a tank commander during World War II. I was a history man. He was a tank commander. And the American tanks during World War II were uh, the Sherman. And the Sherman had to compete against the German Tiger tanks, and there were other tanks, or you know, but they were very, very high quality tanks. And a lot of times there was a ratio that uh, they were using during World War II. It take three Sherman tanks on average to defeat a Tiger tank because of the thickness of the armor, the power of the gun. The, the Tiger tanks had thicker armor; they had more powerful guns. And there, but Patton would use his uh, inferior equipment in such an aggressive manner that he was able to defeat superior German army armor armament, and he used tactics. And he, uh, the United States Army, uh, was eventually years later in evaluation. They realized because the the brilliance of our tactics wasn't just the Germans were considered more tactically, uh, they had tactical strategic plans and were well-orchestrated plans. They had very brilliant strategy. The the Russians had tenacity, tenacity, and they would just keep on going and going and going. The Americans had, they had a kind of a street-level leadership plan. So when a plan fell apart, a plan, a grand strategy full apart, fell apart for when the U.S. was planning an attack. They allowed on-the-ground commanders and subordinates to alter the plan to adjust to the realities on the battlefield. And what would you say, Jim, why would that apply to us? You can talk about in a restaurant or a bar about classic situations on how to handle, handle things. but. At some times, you have to allow your people that are there addressing a situation, a problem, or a predicament, predicament, you have to allow that person to, uh, the leeway to create their own solution sometimes. Otherwise, you get this kind of institutional stagnation where things don't get done. I was in, uh, and I'm going to close this out. 
when <laughs> is it funny story? I think it's kind of funny. Uh, we're I'm with the wife and daughter this past week. Uh, no, a week a uh, half ago in Manhattan, and we stopped in Macy's. And I always wanted to go there because, for, first of all, you know they had Miracle on Thirty Fourth was filmed there, and it was one of the original uh, department stores. It's like t- ten floors of Macy's, huge place. They had so many escalators there, and I'm standing there while my wife and daughter are. I think they're um, shopping off, and I'm just standing, looking around at people. I'm near an elevator bank, waiting for them, and someone walks by with a dog. Didn't even look like a service dog, and the dog just stopped, and it squatted down, and it peed on the middle of a marble floor. And the person looked and says, well, I guess someone's going to have to clean that up and walked off. They never even told anything. They just walked out. There were, um, there was no embarrassment. They kind of laughed. I'm looking at the person. No shame. Okay. It just takes all kinds, right? At that situation, I'm not saying I'm the person there, but I saw one of these, uh, I guess it was almost like a traffic cone. No, a chair. It was a chair sitting off in a corner and I grabbed the chair and I put it over the P and I went and drew someone's attention, one of the uh the sales staff, and I pointed and I said, someone's dog peed there. I've never seen that before. And in all my years of going to the store. And the person stopped what they were doing, brought over another sales staff who manned their position behind a register. They went in the back, brought out a damp mop, and mopped it up. They did not call the janitor. They just took it upon themselves to do it. It was t- they took ownership of the problem. They said, "Well, this is." Uh, it wasn't even in there, really, in their area. It was in a common area, and and I thought, "Well, there you go. There, there it is in action." So, mission accomplished. P uh, picked up. Well, I may be doing a lot of shows right here. It depends if I start this week. This would be an excellent time for me to uh, start. And because of the rain come in, as I said in the beginning of the show, because of the rain that we're getting right now, I might, uh, if I have a couple more days free, since I won't be doing anything outside really, I guess I'll be able to do a couple more shows. And... I normally talk about Key's life and, and 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 life in general. I think that team dynamic thing with bartending, it, even though it kind of loosely t- addressed everything, you can apply it to family, to a uh, uh, circle of friends. Because I guess I could even break it down if I was a person that was a fan of the show Friends, because they kind of work together somewhat. I use the superhero and the myth thing that you'd be able to apply it to your family and your place of work at the same time. Well, this is Jim the Keys bartender. I'll be back again. I hope you have a great day. Uh, keep your feet dry. Talk to you later. Bye.